This message is, uh, boy, I hope you get it. Because it, if you get it, it's going to change so much about your life today. It's focusing on the ultimate hope we have of the return of Jesus and our resurrection into our brand new bodies from the dead. And you think, why, why would Paul focus on that? And the reason he does is when you get it, it transports back to today, and it gives you a couple of things. Number one, it gives you incredible endurance in difficult times. The early Christians of the first century, they were able to withstand unbelievable frustration. And they were, and the reason they did is they began every day with the prayer, Maranatha. You heard Matt talk about that a couple of weeks ago, right? Maranatha is the prayer, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. So early Christians prayed that prayer every morning that they woke up. And so even though their lives weren't great, most of them were slaves, they didn't have a lot of money, they had an unquenchable joy because they were looking forward to the coming of Jesus. The other thing that this is going to do is it's going to give you an amazing freedom from anxiety and fear. And let me illustrate. When I was a kid, 19, I loved UCLA basketball. There was a guy by the name of John Wooden. Uh, this is going to be weird. How many of you have heard of John Wooden? Oh, wow, I can't believe it. Okay, that's pretty amazing. John Wooden, in my view, is the greatest coach who ever coached college basketball. I know some people like Dean Smith, other people like uh, Mike, but I like John because I've got an autographed basketball by him, so I'm very prejudiced. But when I was young, they didn't have DVR and all of that kind of stuff, but what they did is at one in the morning, they would have replays of the UCLA games. And I didn't want to waste my time, so I'd always check the score. I love spoilers, by the way. So I wanted to know the score, because if they lost, I wasn't going to watch them. But when I was watching UCLA, they would lose like one time every three years. It was crazy what was going on in those days. And here's what was fun. I'm watching the game, and I already know who's going to win. And I remember this one game against Oregon State. They were down six, and there was like 45 seconds to play. And I'm just sitting there. And I'm just smiling, because the Oregon State players are going, ha, ah, we got them, we got the UCLA, we're going to beat them. Ah, just you wait, you suckers. And, and sure enough, just like the news said about three hours before, Sidney Wicks gets up, he hits a shot, UCLA wins. And I had no anxiety watching that game. All I had was excitement for the outcome to show itself. Does that make sense? And, and that's kind of like way where we are as Christians. We know who's going to win. And guess what? We're going to win. This is so cool. And when you, when you get that settled, everything else falls into place. Because what you can do is you can say, yeah, our country is falling apart. Our world seems to be falling apart. People just seem to be getting angrier and angrier and more unkind to each other. The language we use just seems worse than ever, doesn't it? But, and so even though the wheels of the wagon of this world are falling apart, 
we, if we understand this stuff, can have a joy because we know how it's going to end. So, a couple of things just to set our perspective for today. First is 1 John 2.16. John says the world and its sinful desires are fading away. Uh, anybody arguing with that? Anybody saying, ah, oh, the world's getting better? Nobody? Okay. Because if uh, I look at it and it doesn't seem that way. And if you are, your optimism is incredibly inspiring to me. I've got to figure out how you get it. But it doesn't seem like the world's getting better. And John says that's the way it's going to be. The world is kind of decaying. Along with all of the... He, God, has granted to us His precious and very great promises. So all of the promises of the Bible have two purposes in mind. One is that you may become partakers of the divine nature. The word partaker actually means a partner in the divine nature. So the first purpose of all of God's promises is that the nature of God will be more and more developed in you. So that you'll act like Jesus, you'll talk like Jesus, you'll respond to people like Jesus, you'll love like Jesus. That's the divine nature coming out of you. And what's cool is you don't have to wear a little bracelet. What would Jesus do? No, it's going to be natural. It's going to be flowing out of you. So that's the first purpose. The second purpose is so cool. Having escaped the corruption or the decay that is in the world because of sinful desires. So the world is, it's, it, if you ha can picture an old western with a stagecoach and the the horses have lost, gone off the stagecoach. And so this thing is running out of control, heading for a cliff. That's the world. Okay, we're out of control, going downhill, picking up speed, going for this cliff where it's going to go over and crash. That's the world. God wants you to escape that path. He wants your life to be a life that is growing, getting stronger, and getting better even while the world is going the other direction. Now, what we're talking about today is, in my view, the greatest promise that God has ever made to us. That's what 1 Corinthians 15, 50-58 is. It's a record of the greatest promises that God has ever given to us. And what it's going to do is it's going to help you get excited about Jesus being formed in you and it's going to get you excited about not being on the path of this world. So, before we go on, there's one other scripture I want to share with you, and that's Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. I'm going to read this from the New Living, and this is something you want to mark down, because this helps me understand our world a lot. Paul says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he, Jesus, will reveal to us later. So you're suffering, and life is kind of stinky right now. There's a lot of crud that we go through. He says all that we're going through is nothing compared to the weight of the glory that he's going to reveal to us. Verse 19, For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Think about this. It blows my mind. He's, he's kind of giving personal attributes to nature right now. So the, so the trees are all waiting, and the animals, and the fish, and the birds. All of creation is waiting for the day when who we are 
as children of God is going to be revealed to the world. Are you with me? You got it so far? Okay, let's keep going. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. So you understand this whole world, our whole ecosystem of this world is under a curse. That's why things are so lousy. That's why uh, there's so much violence in nature. That's why nature either has too much rain or not enough rain. Either we're in a flood or a drought. Nature does not seem to be a friend to man, animals, or plant life. And the reason is nature's under a curse. Now look at this. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. So here's what's in our future. Not only are we going to be set free from death and decay, but the natural world is going to be set free from death and decay. How cool is that? That death in creation will be ended. Violence in creation will be ended. And the earth will be restored to a place of where it was pre-sin. That's what's in our future. Now, we keep going. Verse 22. For we all know that creation was, has been... Sub, or excuse me. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now, when Connie and I were having our kids, actually, she was having the kids and I was the cheerleader, uh, we took classes that kept telling us that having children doesn't hurt. And so Connie is, uh, uh, and I said, what are you doing? This doesn't hurt, right? I said, I'm fine. What's the matter with you? And she would wrap her, lovingly wrap her hands around my throat and strangle me and say, this is all your fault, or something like this. So, so having a baby hurts. I, uh, I don't, I, am I letting anything out of the bag by saying that? You know, ladies, I, I know this is a surprise to you. Oh, it didn't hurt me. But so creation is in pain. It's in pain. And he says, not only that, verse 23, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit as a foretaste of future glory. So even though we have a kind of a down payment of what we're going to receive in the future, we still groan. Now let me tell you how this helps me. I go through times of sadness or fear or anxiety, and it just feels like things aren't right. Do you, do you ever experience that? Paul says we should experience that. That's part of life in this world. This world isn't right, and we're not going to be right living in this world, even though we have a joy and we have a, an excitement about following Christ, even so, the stuff of this world is going to do everything it can to drag us down. At this point, you're saying, well, thanks a lot. I'm sure glad I came to church today. You're really encouraging me. But it is encouragement to know that nothing's wrong with you when you feel that stuff. That you're not the only person in this world going through suffering or sadness or anxiety or fear. It's not that something's dreadfully wrong with you. It's that you're living in a world that's dreadfully wrong. And we're going to have that sense of groaning. But then Paul goes on 
to say, but we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has given us. That's what we're going to be talking about today. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. So here's what Paul is saying. Things aren't right now, but they're going to be when Jesus comes again. And when you get your hope fixed on him, that hope, that fixation, is actually going to come back and transform the way you live today. So that's where we're going with this. So now we're going to go into 1 Corinthians 15, and let me just give you a quickie review of where we've been, because 1 Corinthians 15 is like a wave coming into the, to the shore. It's like building and building and building, and the passage we're going to take is when it finally crests, and just in that beautiful display of power, it crashes on the shore. So it's a, that's kind of what's happening. 1 through 11 is the core of the gospel with the resurrection as the center of the gospel. Verses 12 through 19 is the importance of the resurrection. And that's where Paul says, look, if Christ isn't raised, we're still in our sins. But 20 through 34 goes on to proclaim the truth of the resurrection. And that's where Paul says, now Christ is risen from the dead. So you can see he's, Paul is getting a little more excited as this whole thing goes. And 20 through 34 is where he shows God's plan for the ages in terms of bringing everything in submission to Jesus Christ the King. So we'll be singing in heaven, all hail King Jesus. We're going to be worshiping him, not only as the Lamb, but of the Lion of Judah, as the King of heaven and earth. And that's where we're going, and that's what 20 through 34 talks about. 30, 35 through 49 talks about the nature of our resurrection. And let me just share one thing that will maybe help you understand this. Back in the days of the Corinthians, there was this group of Greek philosophers called Gnostics. And a lot of them claimed to be Christians, but they weren't. But they were really into Greek philosophy. And if you want to understand Greek philosophy, it's based on something called dualism. That there is spiritual and there's physical. And in the Greek mind, spiritual is good and physical was bad. So these people said, a physical resurrection? That's disgusting. Jesus didn't rise physically from the dead. He came out as a spirit. So if we go to the tomb, his body is still there. That's what they were saying. That's who Paul's writing against. And then they also said, we don't want a physical resurrection. We want to just be kind of spirits floating in the sky. And Paul says, nope, that's not our hope. So he is going to share the idea that our resurrection, it could be compared to a seed and a tree. Picture an acorn. What are they, about that big? They're not very big. And you plant it in the ground. I Actually, on YouTube, they had this amazing time-lapse video of an acorn becoming an oak tree. It was so cool. I mean, they must have filmed like 10 years in about three minutes because they showed this thing, the seed coming apart, the little plant coming out, coming up in the ground and a tree being formed out of that. And you guys, it is miraculous to watch this thing. This huge, massive, powerful oak tree all came out of that little acorn. And that's like our bodies now 
as compared to our bodies in the future. There is going to be a connection. Just like there's a connection between the seed and the oak tree. But boy, that oak tree, even though its DNA, its DNA is connected to the seed, it is going to be very different from the seed, both in power and might and stability and longevity. So, Paul shares with us what our resurrection body is going to look like. Now he comes to the pinnacle of this amazing chapter. He is going to challenge us with the fact that we have a hope that trumps every other picture of where we're going. He answers the most fundamental question that humans have ever had, what happens after I die? Paul is going to answer that question explicitly and specifically today. So as we're going, I want you to understand, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight, right? And faith is where you respond to things based on what God says rather than what the world says or what you feel in your environment. And let me tell you why this is so hard. We tend to base our future on our past experience. If you have had a very difficult life where people have let you down and it's been a, you know, you've had kind of one tragedy or another, you tend to anticipate that life is going to keep going in the same direction that it did, that it's been going in your past. It's hard for our minds to conceive of a radical change. And yet what we're talking about this morning is the fact that the future is not going to be anything like the past. All right, so now we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 50, 15, verses 50 through 53. Paul says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Those two uh, statements are parallel statements. Paul is saying the same thing in, this, in different ways. And here's what he's saying. You guys, our bodies are not ready for the kingdom of God. Why? Because I'm in a perishing body. I used to have a six-pack, now I have a keg. Okay, so it, it, things don't go in the right direction for my body. And honestly, let me tell you this. If God said to me, Steve, you can live forever on this earth in this body, I would say no thanks. I'm 69 and I'm already falling apart. Could you imagine me at 200? I would make the walking dead look good. I mean, you know, you, know, you tap me, my arm falls off, and it's just, you know, it'd be awful. So my body is not ready for the kingdom of God. So Paul goes on in verse 15. He says, behold, I'm not a fan of the word behold. It just sounds so innocuous. Behold, you know. What the heck does that mean? What this is, is it's a very strong interjection. And if you can picture a coach at halftime who's trying to get his players' attention, and he goes, listen, tune in here, because I need to tell you something. I need you to get this right now. That's what this word is. It's not behold, it's listen. Okay, I'm going to tell you something really important. I'm going to tell you a mystery. A mystery is not something that's mysterious. A mystery is something that has previously been hidden, but is now being revealed. 
Now, I don't know if you know this, but 1 Corinthians was actually one of the earliest books written in the New Testament. And so when you look at 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's presentation of the gospel, that is the earliest written form of the gospel we have anywhere. It's pretty cool. So this is, Christianity is really primitive at this time. And what Paul is going to reveal to them right now, they have never heard before. That's why he calls it a mystery. He says, I'm, I'm revealing something to you you've never heard before. We shall not all sleep, code word for die, but we shall all be changed. Here's what Paul is saying. You guys, I've got some exciting news for you. Not every Christian is going to experience death. We could be that generation. How cool would that be if we're the generation that never experiences physical death, but we just go right into transformation into the presence of the Lord? That would be awesome. That's what Paul is saying. We shall not all die. We're not all going to die. We're not all going to sleep. But all of us, whether we're dead or alive, we all are going to be changed. He goes on. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. They're going to now have bodies that are ready for the kingdom of God. And we shall be changed. So I will immediately go from perishable to imperishable, from keg to six-pack again. So it's going to be awesome. We're all going to experience this. Now, all, of, all who are believers. Now, the word twinkling of an eye is pretty cool. Because what, it's not talking about a blink. It's talking about the measurement of light going through the lens, hitting the back of the eye, and then coming out, and then being reflected out on the lens. So let's say, what is that? Maybe an eighth of an inch from the front of the eye to the back of the eye? So however long it takes light to travel that eighth of an inch, that's how long the twinkling of an eye is. So it's going to be moment. It's going to be a moment that you can't make any smaller. So here's what's going to happen. There's going to be a generation of Christians who will never die. But it doesn't matter because all of us, whether we've died in Christ or whether we live, we're all going to be transformed into bodies that are ready for heaven. Paul says his change, and here's what I want you to do. Before I do this, I want to read 1 Thess Thessalonians 4, 15 through 18, because this gives us a, a, another picture of this. Paul says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So Paul was writing to Christians who were bummed because their friends had died, and they didn't know what was going to happen to their friends. And he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So what does this mean? I lost my little brother when he was two years old. He drowned in our pool. 
And that devastated our family. But it didn't rip us apart. Because we didn't grieve like people who had no hope. We grieved, but when our grief was plummeting, it ran into the foundation of our faith. So what that means is I'm going to see my little brother fully formed. I'm going to be with him. My dad and my mom and my grandpa, that you know, when they died, this is going to sound terrible, I wasn't sad at their death. I was sad at their dying. Does that make any sense? It was, it was my dad who was so strong. He was my hero. He was my protector. He was the guy I could always look up to. And when he died, he was so frail and feeble. And his mind didn't work very well. And his body worked even worse. And honestly, when he died, I said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for taking him home. But I'm going to see him. He's going to have a body of power and glory and beauty. And my mom will be fully restored. She was so frail, she couldn't even open a jar of peanut butter. Her hands were so crippled. See, it's not the death that bothers me. It's the dying. And if you live long enough, we'll all be there if Jesus doesn't come again. My oldest brother died of brain cancer just about a year and a half ago. And he's going to be set free from that cancer. All the pain that it brought him in dying. He's going to have a body that will be totally free. Those who have been confined to wheelchairs will be dancing in the air. Those who have been blind will see Jesus face to face. Those who have had struggles with Alzheimer's or dementia, they will know fully, even as they're fully known. Do you, do you see, all that's wrong in this world will be instantly changed when we receive our new bodies. I mean, that is a day worth looking forward to. I don't know about you, I kind of get excited about that day. I, in fact, I'll tell Jesus right now, I give him permission. If he wants to come before I finish the sermon, it's okay. It's okay by me. I really want to finish the sermon, but it's okay. I can deal with that. Because this is what we're looking forward to. So what Paul is saying is the great promise you have, no matter what's happening in your life right now, there's coming a day when Jesus is going to come and I want you to just picture this. You hear this huge trumpet blast. And I can't even imagine what it sounds like to hear an archangel shout. They are beings of incredible power, but you will hear all over the world the shout of this archangel. And before you can even process what's going on, you're going to be caught up. We're going to be looking down on the roof of this church. We're going to be headed up. And immediately, everything that's wrong with your body will be gone. Any of you have aches and pains? I even had aches and pains when I was young. Now it's like, dude, get up, take inventory. Wow, nothing hurts. What's wrong? 
it's, it's just the older we get, the more our bodies are decaying, but all of that will be gone. And we're going to meet Jesus. We're going to meet Christians from the first century who have given their lives for Christ. We're going to meet our parents and grandparents if they knew Christ. We're going to be together in the air, and there's going to be billions and billions of followers of Jesus who are going to be gathered in the air. And once we're all gathered, he's going to take us home. Now, that's not the whole story. We don't have time to get into the whole story. But this is the story as it affects you. Let me just read to you from Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. Once you begin to get this in your mind, you'll see how it's scattered all through the New Testament. Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. By the way, you may think I'm an American, I'm Asian, I'm African-American, whatever it is you, your background is. That's not your identity anymore. Your identity is you're a citizen of heaven. And if you're a citizen of heaven, here's what you do. From which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform, that's transformed from the inside out, the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power he has to subject all things to himself. So the power that Jesus is going to use to defeat Satan and all the kingdoms of this world, that same power he's going to use to transform your body to be like his. So our bodies will be like Jesus. So what does that mean about our bodies? This is very important because it gives you a picture of heaven. Number one, our bodies are going to be physical. This is very important. We are, you look at Jesus, he could be touched. He could be seen. He could be heard. But he was very different. And that's why when you read the gospel accounts, a lot of people had trouble recognizing Jesus. Why? Because he had exchanged his old body that was weak and decaying. I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but if Jesus hadn't died on the cross, he would have ultimately died of natural causes. Because he had a body that was decaying just like our body decays. But not after the resurrection. And so that humble body that is, uh, gosh, I hurt my knee, you know, not, things aren't great. That was exchanged for a body of power and glory and amazing capabilities. But it was physical. Jesus could eat. And by the way, we will be eating in the kingdom of God, which is the coolest thing in all the world to me. Heaven is you'll be able to eat everything you want and you'll never get fat. That to me, ultimate heaven. We're going to have an awesome banquet. We're going to have a great time with Jesus. We're going to be celebrating our marriage to him. And it tells me that the kingdom of God is going to be like this earth should have been before sin messed it up. So not clouds, not harps, not any of that stuff that's so weird. There's nations in heaven. There's food in heaven. There's trees in heaven. I am convinced beyond a shadow of doubt that there's going to be animals in heaven, which I love because I love animals. And it's going to be awesome. So Paul goes on now and he talks about our victory, verses 54 through 57. When the perishable, when Steve Larson exchanges his old cruddy body for the imperishable and the mortal, that means dying, 
for the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. What Paul is basically doing, he's quoting Hosea in taunting death. Right now, death wins every battle, right? I mean, you know, I don't know if you guys ever watched What About Bob, but I loved that little page, where the, that little scene where the kid is talking to Bob and he says, you're going to die. I'm going to die. We're all going to die. And so uh, this little kid had this morose view of life, but it was an accurate view that unless something interrupts that natural process like Jesus coming, we're all going to die. But Paul says, death is going to lose its sting. It's going to lose its power. Isaiah 25.8 says, He will swallow up death for all time. I love that. He, the Messiah, will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, and He will remove the reproach of His people from all the earth. For the Lord Yahweh has spoken. Paul says in verse 27, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you and I are watching the game of life and it's in the third quarter and it looks like we're losing big time. But you can sit back with your arms folded and kind of a confident smirk on your face and you can say, we're going to win. We're going to have the ultimate victory, Paul says. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, through one man, sin entered the world. And death came into the world through sin. So Adam brought death into the world. When Jesus came the first time, he brought spiritual life to our lives. But the problem is, I have this great spiritual life, but now it's in a jar of clay, right? But now, he's planning to replace my jar of clay with this glorious, immortal, imperishable, unbelievable body. Let me just share with you Revelation 21. If you ever want to know what it's going to feel like in heaven, this is verse 3. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is known among His people. So God is going to be hanging with us for all eternity. It's, it's like... We're going to go for walks with God. How cool is that? Jesus said, hey, you want to go for a stroll? Yeah. His home is among his people. He will live with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. This is what God's been trying to do all, for all human history. He's just been gathering together a group of people who want to hang with him. When I'm doing the kids' fundamentals class, I, I say, you might think this is disrespectful. I just say, God wants to be your BFF. He wants your best friend forever. He wants to be that friend who is so close to you, he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. Well, guess what? Eternity is us living that out. It's pretty cool. goes on to say, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. Those are good things to get rid of, aren't they? No more death 
or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. So that's our future. Now the question is, how do we live now? Because honestly, there's a lot of life that I don't like. And I have this future of knowing I'm going to win, but I have this present. Sometimes it feels like I'm getting trodden underfoot. You know what I mean? And I want to give you a couple of ideas of how should we think and then I want to talk about how we should live. But before we do that, let's go with verse 58. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, on the basis of what we've talked about in the resurrection, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your toil is not in vain. Now we'll get to that in just a minute, but let's look at how should we think. Number one, make the hope of your future resurrection the bedrock of your worldview. What do I mean by that? Start to realize that everything you possess in this world, every material possession is temporary. You know, when you go up in the air, you're not going to be saying, ah, my iPhone, I just got that iPhone 11 Pro. Come on, I want to get pictures of heaven. Oh, you know. <laughs> but your iPhones definitely will not get you because all iPhones are going to hell. You know, <laughs> Samsung's maybe, okay, they may, they may come up, I'm just teasing, just kidding. I know, I've got about, I'm about ready to be stoned. You know, you, you can take a teasing on a lot of things, but you cannot take teasing on your phones, right? Uh, but, but no, you're being, you might be in the middle of texting. And can you imagine, Jesus, could you wait a minute? I just, no, there'll be none of that. Everything in this earth is temporary, and... I think what God has been speaking to me is he wants me to hold on to the stuff of this earth with a loose grip. Whether it's my retirement savings or whether it's um, my technology, I, I'm a tech geek, I love that stuff. Or whether it's my cars or my home, I love my home. Uh, all of that stuff is great and it's okay to enjoy it. Please understand, it is okay to enjoy this life. It's okay to be in a home and to enjoy it. It's okay to have an iPhone even. I, I can't imagine that, but it's okay. And, but just don't get too tied to it. Does that make sense? So first of all, how do we think, hold on to stuff with a light grip, realizing that it's temporary? Secondly, if you are facing death, remember that as a believer, you win. And I have to tell you, in March when my heart stuff hit, there were two or three nights where I was about 80% sure I wasn't going to make it through the night. I mean, I couldn't breathe, and I had just gone to the hospital, so I didn't want to go back. And so I just said, if you're going to take me home, just do it right here and now, because I'm not, I'm not going to fiddle with it. And I, you know what was so cool? I was okay with that. In fact, I was better than okay. I, I really understood what Paul meant in that moment for me to live as Christ and to, to die as gain. Now, I'm not saying you should try to precipitate your own death or 
try to die early or anything like that. We should take advantage of what we have to live, but when it's time for you to go home, you're going to dis discover something really awesome. There's what a woman by the name of Corey Ten Boom called a dying grace. And when you're about to die, it's like the Holy Spirit just sweeps in and says, it's okay. It's okay. Corey Ten Boom was a woman in the German concentration camps. And they were taking her sister away because she was so sick she was dying. And Corey was crying and, and the sister said, please, God hasn't given you the grace he's just given me to die. I'm going to die and I'm better than okay. And I just want you to be okay with me being okay. We cry when we lose loved ones. But we realize they just won the battle if they know Christ. Number three, there are two things that will choke your faith. The cares of this world, that's all the anxiety that can, what if this happens? What if, stop asking what if. I do not believe that's a question from God. I believe that's a question from the evil one. What if this happens? Oh, we need to, we need to do everything we can to prevent this because it might happen. Oh, what if this happens? And we, we live in fear in a greater proportion than I've ever seen in my life. The cares of this world will choke you out. But also, the deceitfulness of wealth will choke you out. Finally, let this truth set you free from worrying about tomorrow. The only tomorrow you need to be concerned with is the fact that Jesus is coming again. Other than that, Jesus says, focus on today and let tomorrow take care of itself. Now, how should we then live? There's some really cool words, steadfast. Steadfast is this, uh, this sense of a person, a wave is coming into the shore and it's crashing on him and he stands strong. So when all of the junk of the world is coming at you, being steadfast says, I'm not going to let it throw me back. I'm not going to let it throw me down. And I'll tell you guys, when you get fixed on the coming of Christ, there will be a stronger spirit in you that lets you withstand the pressure of the world. Secondly, he says, be immovable. In other words, don't let it put you on a different track. Don't let it steer you into a different place. And then thirdly, he says, and I love this, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And I want to make this real simple for you. Today, Jesus has stuff he wants you to do. Do you know that? Ephesians 2.10 says there's a, there's a path that God has for every one of us, a path of good works. So the simple way to live is figure out what Jesus wants you to do and do it. There's people he wants you to love. There's, there's growing in him that he wants you to experience. There's people he wants you to pray for. There's people he wants you to share his truth with. Figure out what Jesus wants you to do today. And just do it. Always abound in the work of the Lord, Paul says, because you know that as long as you're working in the Lord, your labor will never be in vain.
I have to tell you guys, I, I was a pastor for 34 years. And there was a time in my life when I was so discouraged, I didn't want tomorrow to come. I was just tired of life. I was tired of people, tired of all the crud that was going on. And it was this verse. You know that your toil is never in vain. There's an old hymn, and I used to go to that a lot. It says, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Now, all the stuff that you've gone through, the minute you say him face to face, you're going to go, ah, it was worth it. So my prayer for you is that your future in Jesus is going to change your today in this world. It takes some work because this world will do everything it can to distract you. But if you do this, you will have greater strength, you'll have greater courage, and you will understand why life isn't as good as you wish it would be. It's really helpful for me at least. Let me close with one final verse, and that's uh, 1 John 3, 2 through 3. John says this, Dear friends, we are already God's children. You don't have to wait for something new to become God's children. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're God's children right now. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. So you're already God's kids, but he hasn't let you see what it's going to be like when you stand with him. But we do know that when Christ appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. You guys, if you guys plant this in your life, it's going to create a desire for purity. A couple of things as we close. Number one, if you're here today and you've never made the decision to place your faith in Jesus Christ, please don't wait because Jesus is coming, and you might think, well, he hasn't come so far, maybe he's not going to come today. Well, he might come today. And this is one of those things you don't want to miss. You can be late for a flight. You can be late for a bus. Don't be late for Jesus, okay? If you're here today and you look at yourself and you say, I don't know if I'm a follower of Jesus, we have people up front who are going to be here to pray for you. Let them help you understand that decision, let them help you make that decision and pray with them to become one of God's kids. We're going to have the worship team come up. We're going to close our time in, in worship and we will have, if you're new with this, there's a lot of movement that happens in the church and that's normal and it's actually kind of cool. We have communion up here and when we take the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, we are celebrating the basis we have for our future victory. Um, we have offering here. If you want to share from what God has given to you with the ministry of this body, uh, you can use uh, buckets for an offering. And also we'll have members of the prayer team on both sides. If you want to pray about your own personal uh, relationship with Jesus or you're going through a difficult time and you just need somebody to uphold you in prayer, or if things are okay and you still want somebody to pray for you, 
You don't need to be in desperate straits to pray. Uh, just go up and let them pray with you. This last few minutes to worship you, I pray that you would excite us. You would just fill our eyes with that imagination of what it's like when you come again. And so we say, Maranatha, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.